3: I'd say we have fewer holes in our roster than we used to, but there's still some questions. You know, There's certain spots where we feel really good about who the guy's going to be and other spots where there's going to be a competition for it. This the thing we've been preaching to the team all year and, and are, we're going to continue to preach to them is self-inflicted wounds and a little bit of lack of detail and discipline here and there has hurt us. Penalties have hurt us, turnovers have hurt us, not getting turnovers back on the other side, special teams. Uh, Those are going to be the primary emphasis uh, of our camp. Experience helps you with those details and we're going to be more experienced than we have been. Uh, But also continuity helps and um, making sure that the main guys are working with the main guys a little more often earlier on is probably going to help us with that. It's just dominating the, the other teams
4: and winning, you know. We need to get back to a brand of winning football, and that's what, that's what matters. I mean, no matter what, how, how you play, if you turn the ball over five times a game, you're not winning. The only, the only thing that matters is winning and losing, so uh, get back to winning, winning football. I'm not going to put a number on it, but I think Husker fans will know if it's a good product on the field or not.
3: The one thing we need is momentum right now. Um, There's so many good things that are happening in our program. The team's improve so much, the talent's improved so much, the culture and attitudes have improved so much. Uh, I want a a tough team that's going to play physical and not beat itself, uh, play well on special teams, take care of the ball uh, and fight and I think that's what Nebraska people want too. We're picked where we deserve to be. When we've earned it, uh, we should be picked higher than that. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer.
0: Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, I'm your host, David Gaskers, and I'm with
5: Honky, We're through one week of fall camp, and let me just say that despite the defense being ahead of the offense, we're light years ahead of where we were last year. Although some of the new guys are drinking from the fire hose, we're happy to say that the light bulb is starting to turn on, and the game is slowing down for the freshmen who were swimming in it just a year ago. Meanwhile, it's make or break time for a few upperclassmen, but you can really tell that across the board, we're physically stronger, and that strength and conditioning of the team has really improved. Now let's have the best red cast we've ever had today.
0: What a pep talk there by Honk. I, I, I'm ready to bust through a wall. <laughs> How about you, Boomer?
4: Well, I'd just like to remind our listeners that uh, photos of this podcast, we really encourage you not to release them. Uh, we're planning to have a bigger reveal of this uh, probably August 31st. So please refrain from photographing the podcast. That's right. I mean,
0: don't look at the T-shirt that I have on or Boomer's hat or, uh, you know, Honky's gorgeous mug. Um, just, just wait till August 31st, apparently which seems like an odd time to reveal a <laughs> alt uniform as well. I'm completely confused on everything that happened there. Boomer, could you actually, um, before we talk a little roster management, can you run that down? I mean, I was really, so they, they had some sort of reveal. Was it in Havelock? Is that right? Yeah.
4: They invited everyone kind of out towards kind of by the Joyo theater. From my understanding, I wasn't able to attend in person, but uh, they invited fans and, various media members down and then once they got there asked them not to take photos and distribute anything on you know this the internet or whatever the, the kids call it nowadays and of course
0: and, then it did make it on to like reddit and and whatnot it's a yeah yeah i'm, yeah, I'm totally rabbit, yes seen.
4: so of course as, as good loyal listeners we certainly made no effort to look for no this stuff so yeah is it possible
0: boomer that this is all a big ruse to you know divert You're our kind of attempt to trick us else?
4: or to yeah they're they're weaving and we're dodging kind of thing, I don't know yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure what the plan was uh, maybe they were trying to get material for a for a video that they're gonna release later, you know that's that's a possibility, or you, know, maybe the video just wasn't ready on time like they thought it was gonna be and so they had to delay this. Maybe Adidas
0: I, didn't get the memo and they just had to throw something together. Yeah. It wouldn't I mean, be the first time. Yeah.
4: It would. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time given the alternates Adidas has put out for us in the past. But yeah, they, they kind of forgotten. And, oh no, that uniform's due today. Kind of thing,
5: you know, <laughs> and, so. Boomer, they did pick a 110 degree day to do it.
4: Also, they really uh, did. So, it's a so. Data to get someone out in a full football uniform and parade them down on asphalt <laughs> streets. So, yeah, good good thinking there all around. So, yeah, I, I, d- I don't know what like that
0: is. like the uh, like the Northwestern end opposed to the Nebraska end with a, a patriotic thing or something. It could be like, that. Oh, wait maybe a, a second.
4: Yeah, maybe they just took one of their helmets. That could be it.
0: So. <laughs> Here, let's go with this.
4: Then, no one will notice. Oh.
0: Well, uh, Honky, um, we are doing offensive breakdown today. We're missing Mac. Uh, He got called into work. Uh, You know, work does happen, even for for, um, big-time podcasters like us. Um, But before we start breaking down the the offense in um, fall camp, let's uh, just go over a little bit of roster management, hey?
5: Yeah, it's pretty quick this week. Uh, Just a few things. Uh, Matt Lubick, he did uh, say that wide receiver Levi Falk and Wyatt Lever – They've both been put on scholarship this year, so that's awesome. Uh, and they were both contributors last year, obviously, so uh, that's well-deserved. Uh, Tyler Crawford, the punter slash kicker, he did enter into the transfer portal, uh, which is kind of interesting, I think, with our – we'll talk maybe a little bit about uh, special teams either tonight or next week, and they're, we're starting to get some of the, the kickers kind of figured out. So, uh, you know, I think Crawford leaving might be him knowing that he's not going to be one of those kickers. And then the last one is a recruit that we got, Valen Erickson, 6'6", 315-pound offensive lineman from Chicago. He committed last week. He had offers from Illinois, Purdue, Missouri, Tennessee. So, as we know, this isn't going to be a huge uh, recruiting class, uh, but uh, you know they're still filling it out here. And and I wonder if the staff is going to try to be a little patient here. Let's see what happens now the first couple of games of the season. If we get the 3-0 and and we get some victories under the, the belt – you know, that can change the perception maybe of some players, too, that, uh, you know, that we're looking at.
0: Yeah, no, that that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, is there any positions of need, do you think, that are really going after left in this class?
5: Well, they definitely needed the offensive lineman when they got Erickson. That was important. And yeah. right now, they've got their quarterback. That was important. You had to have that. And, uh, you know, geez, they're so limited. I mean, it's down to six or seven more spots, I mean, total. So yeah. it, it it'll be interesting. There's a, a linebacker, Martin. I can't think of his first name. Tyler Martin, maybe. That he was a pretty big recruit, and we want him, but we're holding off on giving him that that scholarship until we know what all right. of our numbers, numbers are, are going to look like.
0: And, uh, can we actually take him?
5: Yeah, that's just kind of the the situation that they're in right now. And then, as we know, at the end of every season, you're going to expect transfers coming out of here too. You know, with the, with the portal. So I, I am. So glad I'm not in charge of roster management. And my goodness, that has to be an entire department of teams, you know, anymore. You have to have multiple people on this because, yep, the numbers just change so much.
0: That's true. That's true. That's also true about Husker podcasts. And, um, we have an interview uh, later here on the show with, um, uh, some, uh, University of Nebraska journalism students doing their own podcast, right?
5: Yeah. With a uh, Grant and Connor from the Husker Sports Weekly. Uh, podcast at Husker Weekly. It was fun. I mean, we had a, it was kind of a multi-generational talk and there are moments where I'm like, I just see things, I just see things differently from them. And that's not me being bad or them being bad. We just literally have different shared non-shared experiences, I guess you'd say. I, I I think of national championships and they just want to get to six and six and who can blame them, right? I mean, the, the, there are things they literally brought up that I don't even think about because they haven't experienced it. And I'm like, oh, geez, I just, I still take these things for granted, even if we haven't done them for five or six or 10 or 20 years.
0: Yep. That's right. That's right. And the fact that last year was their freshman year in school and it was a COVID mm-hmm. year, they didn't even get to 10 games their freshman year. What an impact that was. So, um, I, I really um, hope they get to attend all the home games this year. And it was a great talk. So. Yeah,
5: a couple of great guys, too. I mean, I'm really, it was fun to have that conversation with them. So I'm really glad that they, they were both uh, willing to join us tonight.
3: And now, Scoring
5: Explosion,
3: the offensive breakdown. Well, I've said publicly, I think we've run him a little too much. Uh, that being said, there's going to be ways where that's the best play we can call. Is something that uh, might involve him carrying the ball, um, but we'll try to limit those as much as we can to keep uh, whatever quarterback's playing on the field. Um, anxious to see the two or three guys behind Adrian compete and try to decide who that guy is. And if, if we got, get those guys up to speed, then we can probably be a little be a little less conservative with what we do with Adrian.
0: Let's start with the quarterback, right? I mean, that is where everything happens in this offense. As it is in most offenses, and we have a clear cut, cut starter here in Adrian Martinez. And uh, reports out of camp, he slimmed down faster than ever. Um, rave reviews from Sean Becton, um, you know, accuracy, um, decision making, etc. But this is all August, um, and we can say we've heard a lot of this before. Um, Hockey, what what makes it different this year? You think for Adrian?
5: I think a lot of it for him is. I mean, it's experience. He's been here now for four years. This will be his fourth year starting. He's experienced losing the position and then getting it back. And I think that's, you know, something, there's a lot of value there. He could have, you know, just folded. He could have left the program mentally. Once you leave mentally, I think you're gone. And I don't think he ever left it mentally. Even last year when he was second string, you know, for a game and a half there, he always stayed present. He was a part of the team. He was a leader on the team, even when he wasn't going to be the starter and, uh, And I think that makes it easier for him now to just transition back into that role. I mean, he is the leader. The other thing that makes it different for him is just the people that are around him. And we're going to talk about that with these other position groups. And you've heard it a hundred times here, Redcasters, I'm sure, but there's more talent, there's more depth there's, and you see it on every video they post watching the BTN practice the other day where they were videotaping stuff. You're seeing us throw the ball down the field, 35 and 40 yards. And, And, uh, well, holy smokes, why didn't we just do that all the time last year? Well, there's going to be some receivers you're going to see on the field on play one that weren't playing last year. They either weren't here like Torre or Manning, you know, just wasn't ready to go yet. So we have more available options for him, and I think that's going to make his life a lot easier.
0: Boomer, do you think it's more important that we've improved the cast around Adrian or uh to Hockey's point about when he got benched last year, he had that great speech um, before the the game. Uh, it was the Penn State game, right, guys? And mm-hmm. and I feel like that that as the season uh, evolved and now in the off season, it feels like you know how he responded to that adversity adversity might be just as important from his teammates than just simply adding more talent around him.
4: Yeah, I think they're both, you know, clearly important. Uh, you know, the leadership role. You both said it. He really showed a lot of class. You know, stepping back, being asked to watch somebody else possibly take your position over, and never giving up, never not supporting the team. Yeah, that that's going to go a long way in any sort of season. Uh, but I, I honestly do have to think that just adding the extra help around him is probably ultimately going to be the biggest difference um, when he doesn't have to be the guy running the ball twenty twenty five times a game he's going to be able to stay healthier for a whole season. That's been a problem since, you know, his freshman year. Uh, just he doesn't have to take as big of a pounding. Uh, more consistent O-line, we'll talk about that, you know, going forward. If he's able to have a little more time to, to throw the ball and not have to worry about the snap coming to him. All that the extra pieces around him getting better are just going to make him even better. So, And it, it, it'll feed off each other. If you got talent around him and they trust him as a leader, they're going to want to play harder for him than they might otherwise, and that's a recipe for success.
5: I hear a lot about people being worried about him getting injured and what happens with our backups if we have to get to the point of playing them. How I guess, how worried are you in general about him being injured? Are you any more worried than you would be any other year, or, or do all these additional options that he have, does it worry you less that he'll become injured because he's not going to be ideally carrying that ball 25 times a game?
4: Yeah, I think you remove that variable of him just having to carry and scramble and feel he has to, you know, he has all this pressure to make something happen because there aren't any other options. So you're removing that variable. You make it a lot easier. You know, you're always going to worry about an injury to a four-year starting quarterback, especially when you have basically nobody with any experience behind him, you know, pick up those reins. So that's going to be a concern regardless. I mean, he could get sure his foot run over by a StarTran bus tomorrow and broken enough <laughs> in the season, you know, that's nothing, anything Shut can up, happen. You, know, you can't control that, but right, yeah. I, I, I totally take the blame on that if that happens, folks. You can, <laughs> yeah. Send the emails to the... to the well, blame StarTran. Account. Yeah. The first. I mean, Star-tran yeah, blame StarTran, definitely. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to be a concern when you don't have a proven backup at this point. I mean, there's talented backups, it certainly seems, but we don't know anything about them in a game performance. So that's going to be a concern, but just taking away all those other little chances for him to get injured, I think help a lot for how you view the season.
0: Yeah. I got a couple of follow-up questions on this. Um, first one is it, it, it's kind of interesting to me to think that like going into last year, we felt really good about the backup situation because we had Luke McCaffrey and everything out of camp was saying he was neck and neck with Adrian. Um, but as we saw them play, in the season when you took the best of Adrian and compared it to the best of what Luke gave us, I think it was pretty clear that it wasn't that close, at least in real game situations. Right. Um, and so the question really is, is can Logan Smothers or, uh, Harburg be as good as what Luke McCaffrey was last year? Because we made it through last year, essentially Mm. with a backup that didn't seem to like he was able to throw the ball down the field or read the defense, um, when he was in the game either.
5: Yeah. I, I think you look at the Illinois game last year and I, I think both of those could equally be as good as, as Luke at least was, you know, four interceptions <laughs> yeah. and you know, all the, the turnovers and the bad throws. So yeah. They could at least equal that. We don't want that, but I, I don't know the exact answer yet. Cause we haven't really had a chance to see him out there other than in a spring game, which I wouldn't underplay the spring game in front of 30, some thousand fans was a good, moment for those guys to gain a little bit of experience in kind of at least a college setting. There's a lot of players out there right now that, you know, other schools that haven't played in front of any fans really even yet. So um, there is some value there. It's hard when you talk about backup quarterback talk because I've had some conversations now with fans from other teams and they seem a lot more comfortable with their backup QB. A lot more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We know exactly what we get. BS. There's a reason they're the backup. You know, and the second you lose your starter, if you're too comfortable in your, with your backup, I, I don't know. I mean, I can look at Alabama right now, and they've been in the college football playoff every year since it started, except for one. And it just happened to be a year where they lost their starting quarterback. And losing starting quarterbacks at any school is hard. And Oklahoma, if, if something happened to Rattler, again, you know, the wherever the Norman Star StarTran bus you know rides over his foot, <laughs> you know, I'm sure they have a five-star backup. And you know what? They'll struggle too. And Ohio State has 17 five star quarterbacks right now that none of them have played a college snap, including a high school junior. (laughs) Including a high school junior. And I'm sure they all have unbelievable futures and and a ton of talent. And that this is not an argument about recruiting rankings or talent. It's just if it's about experience, typically speaking, you're going to be concerned when your backup gets in there. And what I would say that Nebraska has an advantage on right now that most schools don't is most schools don't have a fourth-year starting quarterback back. And I get it. That I'm going to say that, and there's going to be snarky fans going, well, geez, I'm glad you have Martinez back a year. That's fine. I mean, he has to prove it. I, I'm not going to make any bold proclamations for him. He has to prove it.
3: Yeah, let's
0: talk about that. That's my other topic before we move on to the other positions is, you know, Adrian has made statements like saying, okay, like, hey, this is the year it's going to put up or shut up. And some people have taken those statements and said like, well, I I think Adrian's gone no matter what happens this Mm -hmm. year, right? This is his fourth year starting. He's not going to come back for a fifth year. He's either going to do really well and he's going to get himself in a a position to be drafted into the NFL, or maybe he decides he needs a a change of scenery for his final year to get that chance. And he, he, he leaves, I guess, or he just, I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that's the, the truth or not. So that's to, to debate. But the thing there, I guess, is like next year. I mean, I, I think a lot of people also said this has been a, a two year window for Frost to kind of prove this out. Right. It's not just this year. It's next year. But if Adrian is gone, do you feel like it's Logan or, or Heinrich Harberg's job next year? Or is that when we potentially have a, a, a transfer in and then we have a spring ball where it's really a, a three man race and we kind of figure it out by the end of. August of next year, right? I'm really curious on that, because if it if we're going to turn the corner this year, and, but then we lose our four-year starting quarterback, we got to figure out how to actually keep the momentum going, right?
4: Yeah, I guess it'd be interesting to see. Some of that's going to depend on do our backups get to see the field at all this year? I mean, that's something we haven't been able to do for so long, just – let players you know the second stringers have a chance in games to compete and just show what they can do you know we haven't had those blowout wins or comfortable leads for so long you just never have a chance to do that and ideally this year you know there'll at least be some games where we should be able to do that you'd think Fordham and Buffalo you know at least come to mind that we should be able to have a chance to get those players in and get them some some reps and maybe see what you've got before you have to try to make that decision come next year if you know Martinez isn't back so you'll at least have a better Better idea of what you have on hand before you go searching for that that magic quarterback transfer. Yeah,
5: I would agree completely. I mean, it, if you don't know any more about your quarterbacks at the end of the year than you know right now, it just opens up the likelihood that you might be going into the portal to try to find somebody who is more known. So there's going to be some of that, those variables that play in. But I think the premise of the question is completely realistic, is it? do you see Martinez being back for a fifth year? Uh, the reality is, is a lot of people didn't see him coming back for a fourth year. I mean, I remember a sure. couple of years ago, Mac and I talking with Tom Chattel, and that was after his freshman year. It was right before the season of hype. And I mean, we were like, oh, my God, he's going to win the Heisman this next year. And, you know, geez, <laughs> hopefully he doesn't, you know, hopefully he doesn't sit out his third year. Right. I mean, it's amazing how quickly things can change. I would love nothing more than two straight All-American seasons out of Martinez from this point on. Have him stay five years. Right. The reality of it is it feels like this is a one-and-done kind of year for him. He either does amazing, as we all hope, and he's it's ready, it's time for him to go to the pros, or the other route goes and you don't see him coming back for year five in that way either. I I don't know. It it almost reminds me of Tim Miles. I remember going into the last year of Miles, and I was like, this is his last year because he either takes us to the Sweet 16 with that unbelievable team of Copeland and all those guys, and he's going to, Go become you know North Carolina's next coach or you know whatever, or it goes the other way and well it went the way that it ended up going. So right, that's right. how I kind of feel with Martinez right now heading into year four again. Yeah, I'd rather, I I would it. love nothing more than two straight seasons of him just killing it out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I guess I feel like there's still that that chance where he maybe has a, a really good year, but not he's not going to be a first round draft choice mm-hmm. and he sees everybody who's coming back potentially. Let, let's say some of the offensive firepower um, in the wide receiver running back room is, is still there. Offensive mm-hmm. lines getting really good by the end of the year. And he's like, let's, let's strap it up one more time and let's see what we can really do. I still like to hold out those, those That
5: would staff. be great. And to your point, Dave, that we've created a narrative around it. it's a two year window for frost and, you know, boy, that in year two of that two-year window, it'd be nice to have a, a returning starting quarterback. We know it's a not year, a fifth year, five-year starting quarterback. Wow, wouldn't uh, that be cool? Yep.
0: All right, well, let's talk about all that supporting cast, though. All right, uh, let's talk about the running back room and um, a lot of positive news coming out of camp. Uh, this has been a kind of a, a yo-yo thing with Marquis Step, where kind of comes in as a transfer, typical transfer hype. Everybody's excited about, about this guy. Um, And big back had success running the ball USC before they moved to the air raid offense. Um, But he's banged up, um, has an injury, a foot injury of some sort. Mm -hmm. doesn't really do much in spring ball at all. Um, Seems like that injury could linger and affect his ability to compete to start um, here in fall camp. But the news coming out of, of fall camp right now seems like he is on the field He's playing, um, he's healthy,
5: and uh, is looking pretty good. Um, Honky, your your thoughts on Marquis' step? Yeah, I mean, he certainly seems to be impressing the coaches right now, and they think that he's further along than what they thought he would have been at this time. I think he's positioned himself well a week and a half into camp to be in that discussion for the starting position. Uh, I always love listening to people be so confident who the starter is. By the way uh graphic designer swobes did a wonderful job for us over the last couple weeks uh, producing some graphics that we posted out there we posted our own starting lineups and i will fully admit that they are complete crap i mean i don't know we're just throwing (laughs) names out there right i mean Irvin was the guy that we put as our starting running back and then you know we get people going ah no it's step and then you know if you put step at starter oh no it's gonna be someone else Uh, another graphic that graphic designer swoops created was one of uh, which running backs are going to get carries against Illinois and to kind of further that point uh, Juan responded he said uh, these four are going to get carries Irvin Step Ramirez Scott but not Yant or Morrison and then Jared responded Sevion gets the bulk so from one to the next you know it's that Logan said or just Irvin and Step And Tony Hayek said, I feel comfortable whoever gets the carries, just not Martinez. I don't want to see him getting the bulk of them. And I think that's probably the truth is right now, I couldn't tell you who is going to be that number one guy yet, but I like the fact that there's competition going right now between six guys. I've said all along, I didn't think we'd end this this, uh, month with six scholarship running backs. And that still can happen. I still think someone's going to be number six and number five. And are they going to stick around or are they going to? Take off, which is kind of what you see. I don't know yet, but it seems like there's a legitimate competition. Six guys. I've, I've heard good things about all of them, and that part makes me excited.
0: And and Yant's on scholarship now. Is that right? Yant is one? Here's yeah, here's. Yant is
5: one yep. of those six. So when you think about, it, I kind of compartmentalize these guys into body types, and Yant and Step are your big guys, and Morrison and Irvin are kind of your your every down backs, and Ramirez is your. Gosh, he could almost go out and be a wide receiver flanker kind of guy. I mean, you know, elite kind of track speed. And then Scott is your Scott reminds me so much of an Azigbo or a Corey Ross solid guy. Like a bowling he's,
0: ball. Yeah. He's a
5: bowling ball. He's not a burner. He's not just gonna go, you know, run four, three out there, but he'll catch the ball out of the backfield well. He'll be a solid pass blocker. He's not gonna put the ball on the ground, a lot of those kind of things. Um, you know, look, they each can bring something to that position. So you know, no one, as far as I've been reading or seeing, no one has just flat out won the spot yet. So, uh, I know we announced. You know, the, the RedCast starter was Irvin. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that in with Pen. Just put that with pencil right now.
0: I mean, to your point, though, hockey. I mean, it's it's a promising sign though that Gabe Irvin is is this competitive this early in his career for playing time. Sure. Um, we have to think that it seems like that might might be a really Good find on the recruiting trail that um maybe
5: not everyone was
0: that excited about. But I, I think Gabe Urban may have a great career here.
5: Yeah. And the dark horse with him would be the other every down back that I talked about with Sevion. I mean, there are some yeah. people that literally are like, Yeah, he's he's done. You know, I mean, he's it's already old news because you're already on to the next guy. And the reality is we talked about that at the end of last season when people would say that about manning it at, at wide receiver. Oh, geez, you know, he's done. You know, he didn't catch anything last year. He's Sometimes guys need a year or two and Savion could be the leading rusher on the team this year. I don't know. Yep. Again, I just know that there's a competition that's going this deep into fall camp. The frost multiple times said he wants the position figured out sooner than later and earlier than in previous games.
3: One thing I told the team and am going to tell um, the coaches and have told them both is I want to kind of make those decisions a little earlier than normal, at least in-house uh, to try to get a little continuity with groups, offense, and defense. So uh, guys better show up ready to go and, and compete for the spots that are up for grabs. But, I mean, they're still – they just got done with their, their first scrimmage, and there's going to be a second
5: scrimmage, I think, this weekend. And my guess is they're going to know at that point who who's going to be getting those first carries against Illinois.
0: Yeah. Here's a, a random question for you. Maybe, Boomer, you want to answer this one. Is like, we don't know who's going to be the starter. We don't know, <laughs> actually, how good of depth we have. But we have six guys competing – for the running back position. Um, when's the last time we were going into a season and you, you felt maybe, I don't even know how good I feel about the running back room, but I feel better yeah. about it than last year. Um, so when was the last time you felt really, really good about, about the running back room?
4: Oh, geez. Uh, where I actually felt confident. We had a quality running back back there. Gosh, you wouldn't even have to hopefully back to a Mira Abdullah kind of, kind of, yeah. because at least you knew what you yeah. had. I mean, yeah, this one, like you said, you don't, you, we don't know a lot about how they're actually all going to produce on the field. We just haven't seen it a lot, but getting back to hockey's points, just looking at these running backs, they look like running backs more than what we've had. You know, we had to rely on people that weren't traditional big running backs for the next team. couple of seasons, you know, and that's just because that's just what we had on the roster. We didn't have a choice. So, if anything, you at least feel somewhat comfortable in that aspect, that we have six guys that look like they could play a running back role in this conference.
5: Yeah, and what's interesting, Boomer, I think you're absolutely right by using Abdullah as the example. There's one thing to have depth, and you want depth. I don't, You don't need six guys' depth. And for the life of me, I mean, I couldn't remember – I don't know who was backing up Abdullah in 2014. Not off the top of my head, right? Or I don't know who was backing up in 2013. It probably wouldn't be hard to, to go back and think, but my point is – when you have the bell cow and Frost says he wants the bell cow, he does want that. Well, you go back to Abdullah, and he was at the tail end of us having three bell cows in a row. I mean, right after Burkhead, who was right after Hulu, we had about seven to eight seasons in a row of really solid, all-conference to, to you know, borderline, all-American style of uh, play from that position, and all guys that ended up uh, going into the to the NFL and having some career there.
3: Well, running back's one of the spots that's up for grabs, and I'm not going to make any secrets about that. Those guys know that. I think we got a ton of talent in that room, um, but I don't want it to be by committee, ideally. I want to have a, a main guy and a backup or two that are going to share the, the bulk of the carries, and um, it's yet to be determined who those guys are. So those guys know, especially at that spot and a few others, that the competition is going to start on day one, and we're going to try to figure out who the, the lead horse is.
5: I've said that I think it's going to be a committee approach just because I don't know who that one guy is that's going to come out of it. But maybe I'm totally wrong. I think we're going to have a really dominant rushing offense this season. I've said that I think we're going to hit 3,000 yards rushing. Okay, And that equates over 12 games. That's 250 yards a game rushing. I think we're going to hit that mark. I don't know that we have a single 1,000-yard rusher in this, on this entire team. So we could hit 3,000 yards rushing and not have a Mm -hmm. 1,000-yard rusher. I don't know if that's good, bad. I I don't know what to make out of that. I just know that we were fourth in the conference three years ago rushing. We were third in the conference two years ago. And last year we were second in the conference. I absolutely believe that we could be the number one rushing team in the conference this year. But back to Tony Hayek's point, the one thing that we don't want to see is we don't want to see – 800 or 900 of those yards and half the carries coming from Martinez at the end of the day, that's one thing that just, that's a non-negotiable that can't be what gets us to that 3000 yard mark.
4: Yep, that's absolutely the truth. Yep. And Imani cross
5: was Amir Abdullah's backup. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. I mean, well-known back and and think of cross there for a second too. think of the difference in the styles. I think there is a, a level of importance where you'd go from an Abdullah, but you'd also have the big back. Think of last year, we didn't have options the way that they have right now. When we get down to goal line, an area we've been terrible in, you know, we have not in short yardage. We haven't been able to punch the ball in the end zone. A year ago, I was watching the Rutgers game the other day because I just like pain. We even won the game, and it was just so painful <laughs> to <the> watch. <run. laughs> but, like, we're getting down to the two-yard line. It's like, we'll throw the 170-pound Wandell out there. Yeah, just have him run right into the, to the front seven. He's just getting murdered and to think that this season like when we go to that Illinois game in a couple of weeks that you could potentially put 500 pounds of backs back there that you could have Step sitting right next to to Yant and just say go and i mean i've i've seen and heard things i'm sure everyone has your your insider at practice and we've we've got ours right and and Yant oh my gosh he is just impossible to tackle cool then i expect to see that when we get out there against illinois i want to see illinois yeah. tackle this 250 pound Dude who maybe has, you know, step in front of him blocking or vice versa. I don't care how you do it. What we don't want to see is every one of those hits going to Martinez and and having to do a bunch of QB leads and draws, you know, left and right. I mean, these are the points where there's other guys now that can take the ball away and, and you know, give you a little bit different look and and also hopefully have uh, Martinez, you know, save him. Boomer, do you know how many rushes a game Martinez averaged a year ago? Just off the top of your head, guess. It's got to be more than 20. It, it was, it ended up being 15 a game oh, when geez, you subtract okay. that he didn't, but still 15 carries a game that needs to be this season. Half of that. He needs to be somewhere in that six to eight range. I think a game we've kind of talked about that specifically, if you think of those first three games, I I'd like to see him go up against Oklahoma and not even have 20 carries under his belt yet for the season. You know, those three games, he averages six carries a game. He has 18 carries going into Oklahoma. And then when we go and play Oklahoma, if it takes 25 carries, if that's our best offense against the Oklahoma that one day and that's what Martinez does, then super. Then that's the offense that one day, if that's what gives us our best shot. But, man, those those early games, he's got to be able – we've got to be able to rely on people other than Martinez to get those those carries and those yeah. yards. Or
0: yeah. to
4: Fordham, hope we can against Fordham and Buffalo. In particular, yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well,
0: let's talk about who Adrian will be throwing to in those first three games and uh, completely change room here. Right, honky. I mean, just it just feels like a completely different room. Uh, We do have a few carryovers such as uh, Xavier Betts, um, but we now have, it seems like a a healthy Omar Manning. We have the transfer from Montana in Samari Ture. Uh, We have Alante Brown, Nixon, Oliver Martin, uh, back. It, talk about having six running backs. We've got at least six uh wide receivers, probably more that
5: we feel that uh, are going to play a role. This yeah, year. the two that just won scholarship, uh Levi Falcon, White Lever, that you know Matt Lubick was talking about, and you know I I think it was Nixon was saying how they go nine deep, and then the next day or a couple days later in practice, Frost limited it to
3: six I feel good about the receiver group there's a lot of competition there to get in you know the top six I imagine six are going to play for the most part Um, a couple other guys might sprinkle in but it's going to be six and we're still trying to figure out who those guys are exactly but there's a lot of guys that I think we can rely on to go in the game right now and make plays
5: at some point it's great to have depth but there's only so many guys that you can you know try it out there on the field too and if you can go six deep at wide receiver that's pretty good and I'll say what I said about with the running back, it's nice to have different body types and styles. The same thing applies right now to the wide receiver core. If we want to get big, we can get big. I mean, we can put out Betts, Torrey, and Manning, and that's six, two, six, three, six, four. That That could be our wide receiving core. So, I mean, you know, we can go smaller. We can do different options there. And I think that's helpful again, too. And then the tight ends are part of this discussion. And uh, I, I know I was just – there's rumors tonight about some injuries. I'm not getting into any of that kind of stuff. I'll let the coaches talk about if there's injuries or not. And I, But I, I think that we have a deep room where, you know, look, if somebody's out for a game, somebody else can fill in, and then you get healthy and, and you get back to, to full strength. I mean, this is, this is kind of what we talked about all offseason. There's no excuses being pre-made here. You know, this is a good team. It's a deep team. The coaches have talked over and over again how we can go too deep across the board, and, and we've got a lot of solid backups and depth, and and the wide receiver core is no different. I mean,
0: one part of being a big wide receiver core is being able to have a big catch radius, getting the ball, um, making it easier for the quarterback. Um, but they could also make it easier for the running backs, right, with blocking in the perimeter, et cetera, right? I mean, this size, it, th- these guys have to be, if not the biggest, one of the biggest wide receiver crews in, in the league, right?
5: Yeah, there's a uh, arbitrary stats uh, on Ooh. on Twitter. They uh, they this was very arbitrary. They go the arbitrary stat of the day over the last five seasons, five Big Ten teams have had an average targeted wide receiver tight end height over six three. These teams averaged nine point four wins per season. The Huskers could have some big length this year. And then they were asked to to order. You know who were those teams and. 2018 Michigan, 2016 Minnesota, 2017 and 16 Michigan, 2017 Michigan State. They were all, you know, averaged over 6'3". Well, you look at what we have out there right now, and again, if, especially if you include the tight ends into this discussion, 6'6", Volklik and 6'6", Allen, uh, you know, there's a lot of height. There's a lot of length out there. And that doesn't guarantee anything, but I'll tell you what, Dave, I mean, you've seen some of those videos too, that BTN's showing. And my gosh, Toure the other day was on a one-on-one deep pass against Cam Taylor Britt. And I mean, he, he made a very acrobatic catch in front of him. It was very impressive. And it was something we definitely didn't see a year ago at the very least. We didn't see anybody on our team making that same play. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm just excited that the room looks more like what I think the coaching staff has always mm-hmm. envisioned. Um, it's something that we noted right when Frost got here. Uh, he did go after a couple of bigger wide receivers, none of them hand out. Um, and then we had that, the little itty bitty committee, which, you know, in the 90s, that could work for us at times, um, but it didn't seem to be effective in the Big Ten. And I really hope that um, this new look. For the wide receivers, makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's uh, talk about the tight ends uh, quickly. Um, you, you mentioned as- Austin Allen and Travis Vokulich already, um, but we also have Chris Hickman as a- another really big tight end. He's back in the tight end room. Um, hopeful that Thomas Fodoni may get healthy by the end of the year. Uh, what do you think about the tight ends?
5: Look, those top two guys, Vokulich and Allen, they've been talked about so much. Uh, the BTN guys talked about how there was uh, you uh know, pro scouts there at the practice and really watching those two. I mean, they have pro NFL bodies, Uh Sean Becton, the tight end coach, you know, he referenced how uh, Hickman had like a 70 yard touchdown catch in one of the practices and Hickman, I, I saw uh, some video of him and he does look like he has started to put on a little bit more bulk. I mean, he is, look, he's a string bean when it comes down to it, he was six, six and, I think they list him at like 215 or 220, uh, and he looked pretty thin. I remember when I saw him in, in spring, but he's, he does look like he's filled out a little bit, and they're trying to work him back into being a tight end. As Redcasters may recall, he was playing wide receiver the last year, year and a half. Um, getting him back into tight end, especially if there is an injury or two, if that's the if that's the case, I'm glad that we have him there because you know I think they're going to do some double tight end sets. Uh, I know they will. I mean, you go back and just watching the Rutgers game, they were doing double tight end sets yep, at times, that's right. and uh, it's not just old traditional one guy on each side of the ball. They they put two tight ends on the same side and have a power side, a double power side. So uh, yeah, I, I like what they're going to try to do with the tight ends. They definitely they've talked about how Lubick wants to get them more involved in the pass game. That they have rerouted some plays to where. Uh, you know, it's the same play as a year ago, but now the tight end is the first read instead of the second right. or third. So, doing those things, they want to get those guys more involved.
0: Yeah, I think that could be a, a, a fundamental change in what the offense looks like if your primary targets are the are the tight mm-hmm. ends. Um, so, should be should be interesting, and let's hope for health all around. Actually, absolutely on, on that. Um, well, I mean, we saved the best for last. Offensive line; it's a critical part of success of this offense uh and um maybe one with the biggest question marks um a lot of potential here right honky but um Mm -hmm. they have to go out there and prove it um we have been a successful running team but most of that comes off of quarterback run play so can they actually establish the line of scrimmage and have the running backs take over that role um it it starts all in the middle with cam jurgens and works its way out right
5: Yeah, a crazy amount of talent on this O-line. And again, I would say we are deeper now than we have been at any other point under the Frost era. You know, we had the intro to the show and it talked a lot about fixing the errors and the issues that we've had. And one of those ones that come to my mind, yeah, we have turnovers and we've had you know penalties and special teams and all that. But the snaps, I am going into this season with the impression that that is no longer an issue. So if we're sitting here in week three or four and we're talking about bad snaps, I, I guess I'm blown away because I, I have no reason to believe that's going to happen. Everything since about the second half of the Iowa game through spring, I've watched the one open practice in spring and then watched the spring game. So I've had chances to see that. It, it just hasn't been an issue. And that's good. If you want a good Martinez, don't have him be jumpy for balls going all over the place. Right. I mean, that yep. starts with everything. And I think Juergens, you know, now going into his third year starting at the position and really his third year playing the position period, I think we're at a point where that's, that's done. The depth comes with, you know, we talk about size at these other positions, but from day one, Frost has definitely put a priority on on size at the, at the offensive line. In fact, I think it was that you know, the arbitrary analytics that I referenced earlier. I think they did something, gosh, this is like a year ago where they said that we have recruited the biggest offensive linemen nationally over the course of like a three or four year period. Our offensive linemen have averaged like six foot, six and three quarter, blah, 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 taller than anybody else in the country. Now, if you're making mistakes and jumping off sides, then you're just the tallest team in the country that goes four and eight. But if they get developed and if we're playing well, I mean, they look like a big 10 line. And I would I would use this as one example where there is definitely depth being created. The last two years, we have had top 100 offensive linemen that we brought in, Ben Hart and Corcoran. And they weren't immediate starters, but they were basically one snap away from being on the field. So they were being relied on pretty much from day one that they were a key backup you're playing. This year, we brought in another top 100 guy, Teddy Prochaska. He's been here all offseason. He's been here since January. The, The kid looks good. His future's incredibly bright. He's not a top four offensive tackle right now. At least it wasn't when uh, Greg Austin was talking about it. He has guys like Newley and, and Ezra Miller in front of him and then obviously Ben Art and Corcoran. So the point is, if you just want to look at that as pure depth, if Teddy Prochaska, your, your six foot nine, 290-pound, top 100 true freshman offensive tackle, is standing on your third string line, that's starting to create the pipeline, at least the appearance of it. And that's, you know, Dave, we've said that a hundred times. I used to read magazines back in the nineties when Larry Smith, the the head coach at Missouri, he talked about Nebraska's offense line. And he goes, they, they walk off the bus and I can't tell if they're first or third string. Cause they all look the same, you know, visually, these guys are starting to look that way. We're starting to have really big dudes, first string, second string, third string, and now it's, you got to play well. Yep.
0: Absolutely. Right. So, um, from a, a starting lineup, though, we're talking Ben Hart, Turner Corcoran,
5: and Ethan
0: Piper. And then the question is, is, the other guard spot, right? Yeah, the
5: right guard spot. And that's where, you know, the conventional wisdom is it's either going to be Brant Banks or it's going to be Matt Sichterman. Uh, for our Redcast <laughs> starting lineup, we had Matt Sichterman out there, who's the fifth-year uh, guard. He's the great you know, so- if he software it, yeah. engineering guy, you know, uh, works at Huddle. I mean, just... You know, brilliant, smart guy. Maybe kind of the Rob's ask of this year's uh, line, I, I like guess, you know, to try to reference. bring yeah. those those comparisons. But uh, again, you know, I mean, Banks is a, you know, if it's not, then Banks is a guy that could get out there. We have some depth. You know, we have other guys again, Newly and, and Ezra Miller, guys that are backing up those tackles. It, it's filling in with players that have played some meaningful minutes. I mean, we still have Trent Hickson out there. I mean, he was a whole season starter. You have Brock Bando who's right. gone out there and, yep. and played, you know, some meaningful minutes. So there's the guy that I'm probably as concerned of anything is Turner Corcoran, just because he's literally still new at this. And we're going to be counting Cody on. Young
0: played one game last year.
5: Yeah. We're, we're going to be counting on, I think, Ethan Piper who probably played earlier than he should have a year ago, but now he's the redshirt well, guy. He's still a redshirt freshman because of COVID, but <laughs> a third year guy. I mean, he's going to be the guy lining up next to Corcoran and probably having to help him along, right? And so early in those season, those first couple of games are really important. Frost has said it before about how we need to get some momentum, and we do need to get momentum. I mean, those first three games, those guys they're going to struggle, they're going to make some mistakes, but you got to get those snaps under you, get better, get better, get better, get better day by day, play by play. And man, if we can be three and zero, that line could be starting to you know gel by the time you're going and playing that that big game in norman
0: all right well that's that's a good um initial breakdown of what we're looking at for the offensive side of the ball here in fall camp um hopefully we have mac back next week We talk uh defense which we're all looking forward to seeing how well the super seniors and everyone else comes along there um let's get out of here with some parting shots hey guys boomer take it away
4: Uh, First off, just like to warn uh, Spencer Rattler that Embark is the bus service of uh, the greater Norman metro area, so watch (laughs) out for those. Um, As opposed to Tran, watch out for the Embark buses. And uh, second, I just wanted to give uh, one shout out um, to someone I had mentioned on Twitter already, Uh, you know, as all of Redcasters know, pro wrestling is our other great love, aside from uh, sports, and one of uh, our favorite pro wrestlers from when we were kids uh, passed away A few days ago was a beautiful Bobby Eaton. Uh, He was a guy I grew up watching. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, growing up in Texas, seeing him in Mid-South Wrestling and, you know, world class with the Von Erics as part of the Midnight Express. You know, you hated him when you were a kid. And as you got older, you grew to appreciate why you hated him and just, you know, why they got you to feel the emotions you did and. Once you know what you're watching for in wrestling, you just saw how skilled he was at everything he did in the ring, and you know the way he could tell a story, and everything you hear about him outside the ring, every other wrestler talks about it, just how great of a human being he actually was. You know, despite playing the villain more times than not, uh, he was. Nobody speaks ill of him. You know, from Steve Austin to Jim Cornette to you know Jim Ross, anybody, you name it, they all they say is he was the most generous human being ever and gave a lot of great memories to me and pro wrestling fans everywhere. So I just wanted to give a shout out to him. So
5: all right. Good job, Boomer. Hockey. Well I want to give a, a shout out to the uh Nebraska national volleyball team that brought back a gold medal, you know, to have Jordan Larson, Kelsey Robinson, Justine Wong on it. Uh, <laughs> I I had to, to highlight this. This is the the tweet of the week. It came from a uh, Jeff Sheldon, he goes, maybe this will finally jumpstart Nebraska's volleyball recruiting. Because, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, holy smokes, it was just, it was so exciting. I didn't watch a lot of Olympics, but that was one thing. Uh, you know, I stayed up late there on Saturday night and to see him get the gold and to see Jordan Larson be the one to get the final point to win it all. I mean, that's that's very cool. Um, get vaccinated. Just want to throw that out there. People, do it. <laughs> this isn't political. People are going to the hospital because they have COVID. I've had a million colds in my life, never been to the hospital once. And so uh, this isn't a cold, get vaccinated. Last but not least, Bobby Bowden. And I think this is a a really important one here. This guy, he was a class act. But uh, more than just that, I think Nebraskans, again, this maybe is the generation thing that you're going to hear in a second when we talk with the Husker Weekly. But from our generation, we grew up with Osborne against Bowden. But also, Bowden built his dynasty out of Florida State through nebraska they came four times to lincoln with no return visit we never went to tallahassee in fact that's kind of a crazy stat we're two and six against them all time and we've never played them once in tallahassee now, you know so i mean it was four bowl games and, and four times in lincoln right but he he credits playing us and splitting the the four games in lincoln to start building that uh that tradition and also he gave a lot of credit To Nebraska fans for the class that we had. And this goes back to October 8th, 1980. I want to, I want to go out with this. And this was something that he wrote to, uh, I think it was to Osborne, Nebraska. He goes, gentlemen, I've been coaching college football the past 28 years and have played before some great crowds in this country. I've never seen people with more class than I saw at Nebraska last week. The Nebraska fans, players, cheerleaders, band, officials, coaches, et cetera, gave me a living testimony of what college football should be all about. I actually had the feeling that when we upset the Nebraska team, that instead of hate and spite, the Nebraska fans thanked us for coming to Lincoln and putting on a good show. This is nearly unheard of in today's society. Nebraska, you are a great example for Americans to copy. I hope we all show half the class you people do. Sincerely, Coach Bobby Bowden.
0: Amen, brother. Let's uh, head over to uh, the interview with Husker Sports Weekly.
5: Welcome back to the Go Big Redcast. Uh, we have Connor Clark and Grant Hansen with us today. Uh, they're with the Husker Sports Weekly podcast, at Husker's Weekly on uh, on Twitter. Uh, welcome to the Redcast, guys. Thanks yeah, so much thanks for having us. Uh, you know, we ran across you guys uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and, and I've listened to a few of your shows, and, I mean, the quality, the audio quality is outstanding, but also you guys have really done a great job getting some really good uh, guests on. I mean, everything from Rick Pizzo with BTN, yeah, Jessica Cootie with the Husker Radio Network, Parker Gabriel, Journal Star, Greg Sharp, and and even a special guest this week. You want to tell us who that is?
2: Yes, we just had uh, Jordan Westerkamp on the show this week. Uh, episode's going to come out later this week. We just recorded it today, which is August 10th for reference. But um, yeah, super awesome guest. Um, we've had a lot of fun with it.
5: Yeah, and a little bit of background with you guys, too. You both, uh, you've done play-by-play with your schools. Uh, Grant, you've been at Fort Calhoun, correct?
1: Yep, and uh, did play-by-play there for two years, uh, last two years of high school, everything but wrestling and cross-country, just because those two were logistical nightmares uh, to set up for, so.
5: And Connor, you're an outsider. You're from Chicago, so you've uh, but you've also done some play-by-play at, at your high school as well, correct?
2: Yes, I went to uh, Lake Forest High School, which is in the northern suburbs of Chicago, um, I'm not as well-rounded per se with sports as Grant is. Uh, focused most of my time with football and basketball, but uh, yeah, did multiple years of that, which was super awesome, and it's uh, definitely paid dividends uh, coming into college, which has been super nice.
5: Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of college, you're both rising sophomores at UNL and pursuing careers in sports broadcasting. So, Dave and I were both uh, journalism school guys. I was advertising. Dave, you were was it just broadcasting, or was it, what, did you have a special specialization?
0: That's correct. Broadcasting guess would have been the specialization. So Okay. Um I don't know if they still call it that any longer, but
5: um They yeah. do, yeah. <laughs> I used to like, you know, write with rocks and chalk and stuff back in our days. So that was <laughs> you guys are in the fancy new building. We were in Avery Hall back then. So my
0: freshman year, we actually had to splice reel to reel tape together. That was that was a oh. thing. By my junior year, we were, you know, editing on AVIDs and stuff like that. But um, they, they made us do like the most basic stuff initially just to kind of like prove to
5: us how hard it was back in the day. <laughs> well, I think we just explained the difference between the generations here that we are. And, <laughs> and that was maybe kind of the hook of, of bringing the two of our podcasts together to have this conversation. That is Husker football it seems to mean something different to different people at different ages, right? If you're, you talk to your grandpa who's 70 and, and he'll remember Devaney coming here and, and with Boomer and Dave and I and Mac, we uh, we were going to school back in the nineties. We were experiencing national championships left and right. Now for you guys, obviously we know what the Husker football has been the last 20 years. We hear about all the time with when we try to recruit kids. Um, maybe I'll start with, the first question, and and I'll go with you, Grant, since you're from Nebraska. What is your first memory of Husker football, Husker athletics? Let's start with that, kind of get a baseline. Then we'll start to discuss maybe about what's the thoughts of the of Husker sports right now with people in your age group.
1: Yeah, well, it was funny because I was thinking about this question earlier today. When I was like five or six, um, living in Omaha, you know, I was always kind of a a contrarian, I guess. I don't know. I I didn't like everybody wanted to root for the Huskers and I just wanted to root for the mascot. I liked the most. And I think I remember listening um, on a Saturday to them playing Missouri uh, and they were the Tigers. And at six, I was like, all right, I want to root for the Tigers because they're Tigers. And so I'm not going to root for Nebraska. Everybody roots for Nebraska. So that was the very first thing I remembered. And so from like basically until 10 to maybe 12, uh, I really didn't pay any attention to it. Um, and I, and I almost wanted to avoid it. And then I think, I think it was about the first year Nebraska came into the big 10. Uh, I think it was Taylor Martinez, either his sophomore or junior year. That's when I actually started to actually pay attention and really started to get connected to the fanship. Um, and a lot of that started with my first actual Husker game. And I remember this one pretty well, it was a two thirty kick against Penn state at home. It was long. It was long. We didn't get finished till like eight o'clock. It was pitch black out by the time we. Were. Always remember that that finish, um, how exciting that was, and I think the Huskers ended up winning that game. Um, but that that really is the first one that really sticks out to me. That Penn State night game. I still have the ticket somewhere in here, um, but that that sticks out to me the most.
5: Mm-hmm. Well, Connor, I guess the same question goes to you. You know, what's your first memory? But also because you're from outside of Nebraska. What's also the perception that you have if you go back home to Chicago and you're talking to to people about Nebraska, what's the perception you
2: hear? I guess the first memory of Nebraska football just in general happened ironically with that Jordan Westercamp Hail Mary and it was not because I was happy, it was because I was heartbroken because I was a Northwestern (laughs) fan at the time and I was really hoping that they would win. They were having a great season and then all of a sudden all those dreams were crushed uh, by a tip in the end zone to Jordan Westercamp. So I mean, I guess it's really the first memory of Husker football that I've ever had. Um, I mean, uh, that one doesn't really count, but um, I will say probably this past year, um, watching the Ohio State game with some buddies, and Grant was there too, and all of us just kind of jumping around going absurdly crazy when they scored that first touchdown. We're like, oh, my God, we're beating Ohio State. Um, So that was pretty cool. Um, And, yeah, as as you said, the the perception of Nebraska in – uh, Chicago is kind of hard to tell because a lot of people who I went to high school with, um, a lot of Wisconsin fans, Notre Dame fans, Illinois fans, Northwestern is also kind of like the minority in that group of fandomship, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and obviously it's a smaller school than all those other big 10 schools, a lot of Iowa, um, in Chicago as well. And, and you see it when you, when you watch Northwestern home game, you see those, those visiting fans really show out when it comes to Northwestern football. So, um, I guess the, the perception, obviously, recently of Nebraska football hasn't been very, I guess, relevant, for lack of a better term. Um, obviously, people expect more out of the program. They know how storied it is. They know the, the success in the past with Scott Frost. And there was a decent amount of buzz around the city of Chicago when Scott Frost was hired, because there are a lot of alumni who went to Nebraska who live in Chicago. Um, so that, that was kind of a big deal. Um, but obviously, kind of underwhelming results so far. Um, but hopefully, obviously, that that can take a quick turn here soon. You are the,
5: the age group of what the coaches are going out and recruiting every day. And in recruiting circles, you know, you hear so much about the challenge it is to get kids to want to come here now, at least in terms of selling them history. You can't you can't sell them history. You can't sell them championships because they haven't experienced that is that accurate do you buy into that is that overplayed or do you think they have parents and coaches that are telling them differently i mean what's your guys' take on, on that
1: yeah i think that's a really interesting cuz that was another one i was thinking about you know a lot today was like you know where does it stand for me right and and how and how does that compare to people my age because you know for me the genesis of caring about nebraska period begins With the big 10, like I I have no memory or concept of Nebraska in the big 12 at all, Um, which is probably crazy, you know, for a lot of people (laughs) to think about. And and I I don't, you know, and I don't think I I think for most of the players, they do have that memory of Nebraska being in the big 12, because, again, like you're eight, nine years old um, and you're, you know, any college football player when they're eight or nine years old was probably playing football and caring a lot about football. Otherwise, they wouldn't be playing college football. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do, I think that memory is there. But the reason I came to Nebraska, and I could the reason I couldn't picture myself anywhere else, um, in many ways was because of the thing that you can still experience from the 90s, right? And that's the fans. Um, and that's the sellout crowd. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's what keeps Nebraska in it still, because again, you can tell people about history. Um And, you know, obviously, I think most of the players are informed what the history is. um, And that certainly has value for Nebraska. But the thing you can really sell them on that they can truly experience today, they can't necessarily experience the history. Maybe even to extent they can't even experience some of the tradition that was around in the 90s. But they can still experience the fans. Um, and, And the fanship that is still carried and bolstered by the 1990s and the 70s before that. I think as far as recruiting goes for Nebraska, they'll always have that. I don't know if that'll be the biggest selling point because again, you can't necessarily experience the history uh, fully. Um, But I I mean, I think the biggest thing that solves recruiting is just winning. Mm -hmm. And then you can really like, Hey, look, Hey, we've won eight or nine games and then you can sell the history of, Hey, look, you can be the guy that puts us over the top that can get us back to that. And over the last five years, I think Nebraska's kind of lost that selling point on the recruiting trail to some extent. When you're going four and eight, when you're going five and seven, it's harder to say we're on the edge. Help us get there.
2: Yeah, I think you you can sell maybe not history, but a little bit of it to a certain extent, as Grant mentioned. I mean, you can still experience the sellout from the 90s. Um, But I think another big thing is Scott Frost is your head coach. He's a guy who did it there in the 90s. He's a guy who won you a championship in the 90s. So he knows how to get it done, especially at the big time level that Nebraska plays football. at. And I kind of go towards the basketball route too. It's kind of like some of the reason why players go to play basketball at Duke is because of coach K and the storied program that he possesses over there. So I think that has a little bit to do with it, but as we progress and NIL is a big thing now and facilities are a big thing and Just to kind of throw Northwestern back into the mix here with with the Chicago connection, I mean, their new facility on the lake has been a huge draw for recruiting. And and NIL now, that sets up Nebraska for an incredible opportunity on the recruiting trail because it's the only show in town. We heard Scott Frost talk about that at Big Ten Media Days as well. But you have that going for you. You have the new facility currently being built. Um, And as Grant said, the fanship is second to none. Um, so I think you can sell a little bit of history. Um, it depends on where you are in Nebraska's case, the sellout and Scott Frost being your head coach. Um, but at the same time you mix in, Hey, you can get a, a great brand deal here. All eyes are going to be on you on Saturdays, nobody else. Um, and that new facility that's coming on the way can really set up this program for success. And even without that, Scott Frost has done a really good job recruiting top 25 recruiting classes year in and year out anyway, mm-hmm. um, which very impressive. So to see what those two things can do for the program is going to be really exciting.
5: You know, Dave, as I'm hearing Connor and Grant talk, there's so many things that mirror things I know you've talked about in the past. Number one, the the fans being so important for Nebraska, the thing that sets us apart, the fan base, but also you've talked a lot of times about the needing those shared experiences that each generation, I don't care what age you are, a lot of times you have these shared experiences of that game, that moment that just brings fans together. And for us, I mean, we have multiple moments. I mean, there's so many different times, different years, Husker fans that are, you know, Connor and Grant's age younger that don't have that moment yet. And, but you just need it. You know, before we started recording Grant, you talked about, you're not going to go to the Oklahoma game because we're going to get killed. And who blames you for saying that? Right. What if we won? I'm just throwing that out. Like, what if we had a moment like that? And that's the thing that starts, there's kids 10 years from now, Dave, that are saying, wow, remember when we beat Oklahoma and no one thought that was going to happen?
0: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I think it's interesting to hear, I mean, from this generation, the the pool of candidates of moments right now are really thin, right? I mean, like, to your point, in the 90s, even in the 80s, we just had every year there was something that you could say, hey, that, that brought me into the fold or that's when we became really passionate. And I think those moments are are just right now far and few between. So we do need to win, even if it's not Oklahoma. Um, we need to have some some wins this year that could be potentially bring more young fans uh, back. I, I did have a question to to Grant. Um, growing up in Omaha, you mentioned you were a Missouri Tiger fan for a, a few years. It sounds like
1: it was more like a Saturday afternoon, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: Missouri, it's like an eternity being a Missouri fan. That's, that's so. true. I, I,
0: I, I, so sorry if you were longer than a, than a Saturday. But um like in high school is it common to see a, a lot of students wearing other uh college uh brands out there? Is it more common to be a, an Alabama fan than a Nebraska fan or do you still have a lot of Nebraska fans walking around those those halls in, in high school?
1: You know, for as far as the football program goes, I mean that yeah, it was, it was pretty much all Husker gears and there, you know, you got a sprinkling of Iowa fans. I mean, you're right on the border. You know, my favorite math teacher was an Iowa fan and he always gave everybody a bunch of crap. Um, but, you know, you, you go outside of football. Like, can I, can I say like, yeah, there's like, there's some people who say like I, I'm more of a North Carolina basketball fan than, than I care about, you know, Husker football or, or more one thing than this. So there, there's some of those people, but at least where I went, I, I felt like it was pretty rare.
0: Sure. Well, that doesn't sound too different. Um, There's been a lot of um, adopted college basketball teams in Nebraska for generations because of uh, the lack of success there.
5: I totally yeah. understand that. Well, and being a Tar Heel fan, you you won Dave's heart right there. So he's yes. – <laughs> Yeah, no, like, I had a question I kind of –
4: I was just going to say, just kind of stemming on uh, what you were talking about earlier, the importance of the fans and the sellout streak and what that means for the program and how to sell it. What is the general attitude of, of people your age for attending games in person? You know, we always hear about they have trouble with students selling out or, you know, not attending games. What's what's the general approach? I mean, people your age still like going to games. What are they going to in the future? What's the what's that like now?
1: Yeah, and that's a weird, kind of a weird thing uh, in some ways because I don't really know how the rest of the student body used that um, because we didn't get a chance to go last year. Um, and so, like, in high school, of course, I mean, th- that's definitely a very valued experience. You know? you know, kids in my grade, yeah, going to a Nebraska football game is at least a once-a-year type of pilgrimage. But for me personally, yeah, I'm going to go to every game I can uh, that's home. As far as, like, going to the road games, it's a little bit harder – Especially again, like where I'm like, as a freshman last year, you know, we had some classes that were pretty, on, pretty much totally online. And, you know, there's just a general feeling from, I think, a lot of people in the class that, hey, when we go back to in person classes this year, things are going to get a lot harder. There's going to be more of a workload involved. And so that's like part of why like I'm kind of hesitant to commit to like an eight hour road trip to Illinois or, you know, to Oklahoma or wherever, because I'm like, eh. Ah, I want to spend the money on a ticket for a road game and all that time driving where I don't know if I can necessarily work on as much homework as I need to or something like that. Mm. So there's, there's some apprehension for me as far as road games go, but for home games, I'm going to go to every game I can.
2: How about you, Connor? Yeah. I mean, as somebody who's never been to a home game, I'm dying to get in there. Um, I mean, the the only experience close I've had was this past year's spring game. And uh, during the tunnel walk, when there were probably like 36,000 people in the stands, not 90, I mean, it was way better than it is on video. I don't think video does justice for it. I've watched it so many times on video, like, wow, what is this going to be like in person? Um, And I texted my dad. I'm like, you need to come here and see this. Like, this is amazing. Um, So I can only imagine what it's like with a full stadium. Uh, I've been to uh, an away game for football and basketball. Football was at uh, Purdue um, and there was a lot of red there. And when my mom and I, we were driving around trying to find parking and, you see a lot of people wearing red just walking to the stadium and stuff and in West Lafayette, Indiana, which is pretty far away from Lincoln when you think about it. And obviously not all of them are coming from directly Lincoln. I'm sure a lot of Chicagoans are coming. But um, that was just really cool to see, and that makes me want to get in there even more. Um, I mean, it's such a historic stadium, and I'm a nerd for that type of stuff. So just to kind of see, like, the the magnitude of it, um, just comparative of what I've seen. I mean, the the closest stadium, and this might make people cringe on this podcast, but the closest stadium I've seen to it is Texas. Um, so, uh, But it, it is just a a great thing, um, and I'm, I'm dying to get in there. As Grant said, road games are a little hesitant uh, just because of expenses and time, but home games for sure. I'm trying to get into every single one I can.
1: Uh, I went to Northwestern Nebraska. Uh, I think it was Mike Riley's last year and even then but we were horrible that year uh i felt like the engagement was really really solid from from the fans it didn't feel much different than the Bo pelini dying in three years in terms of how invested the fans were and maybe there was a bit of like you know definitely for me i was going with like, gosh i can't wait till mike riley's fired and i even remember texting another friend who was there about hiring scott frost but like i just wonder sometimes like I hope that engagement sticks around and I hope everybody stays in as invested. I even, you know, two years ago against Iowa at home and it was freezing cold and we weren't very good then either. And that was one of the two games we lost on a last second field goal, but everybody was involved and everybody was in and focused on that game too. So I do like, part of me does wonder like, gosh, how long does this last? And, you know, is COVID taking a whole year off. Does that speed up the decay, so to speak, if there is any, Um, and again, like when you come to this year, yes, you can go now officially, but are people going to be scared off because of some of the more recent COVID developments and stuff like that? So, I mean, there's a lot of different stuff going on right now with on the fan side, specifically. Um, that's pretty interesting and different for the future.
5: Yeah. And I think, you know, you guys said it earlier too, just at this point, you just gotta, we gotta win some games. I mean, there's so many different elements that play into it. COVID certainly plays into it, but it plays into it for everyone, right? At some point, you either win games and you gain the interest back that way, or <laughs> or you know, the alternative isn't very good. I think of that Iowa game you're talking about two years ago, and, and it was one of those times. I wasn't in the stadium in that third quarter as Nebraska was just taking it over. We were coming back, and the place was rocking and going crazy, and I remember thinking, wow, it'd be really cool to be in the stadium right now. And had Nebraska won it, if they would have pulled that out, it would have been mm-hmm. one of those moments that Dave we were just talking about. It would have been mm-hmm. one of those shared moments that, gosh, remember when we were all there and we watched that that great comeback in the second half, and that would have got us to six and six, and then we would have been, you know, playing in the you know Woolen Beef Eater Bowl or whatever the heck it's called, and <laughs> and you know we'd be playing somebody right, but it didn't happen, right? It was just it was a missed opportunity. And so th- that's kind of been Nebraska football here the last, certainly the last five, six years. Um, what's interesting to, I think, people our age is, like, I I really think of our malaise as being 20 years long. You know, I mean, if, because we haven't won a championship during that time. But there's a lot of nine and ten win seasons. I mean, th- it depends on, like, what people want to define as our bad era. Is it just really only been the last five or six years when we've had some losing seasons? I, I'd argue it's been 20 years. But – but that's also I'm arguing that from a different mentality of like, hey, we, you know, we lost three games between, ninety, basically our entire college career. I think I mean you know, it's just it's nuts. So it, it and it's it also just describes the difference. We're all Husker fans. That's one thing that kind of brings us together. But we're Husker fans from different backgrounds and different time frames. So it's you know we just we have different experiences there. I guess
0: it sounds like really. I mean, since you're, you know, hmm. sophomores to be really don't have that experience. I think that's a part of of how if you go to um, UNL and do have season tickets, you know, being able to um, have that experience of walking over together with a bunch of friends. Uh, Boomer and I uh, lived together on a house in Charleston Street with Mac and a few others at times, and we would throw parties before um, the football games, and then we would um, walk over together, um, and then come back and throw a party afterwards. Right. Um, sometimes a couple Husker football players would randomly show up. Right. You know. I and mean, those are <laughs> the things. Of course. Uh,
2: yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um, just amazing college experiences that make going to a a major university with a great football program and tradition, um, you know, so so um, valuable to the uh, student experience, and it's it's why why you pay for. Um, besides the Big Ten education that you guys are getting, um, the experience of going to a state university like this.
5: We're kicking off in, uh, against Illinois here in geez, just over two and a half weeks. Uh, I'll start with you, Grant. What's your expectations as we come into year four?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things we've talked about um, on Husker Sports Weekly several times, I mean, we've we had that preview, like discussing the schedule. We, you got to start three now, you got to pick up the first three minutes. Um, especially against a Big Ten opponent in Illinois. That, that's going to be big. That first stretch will be very telling. And then, you know, as far as standards for me for the future, you know, like I, I come back to, okay, this is kind of year three. This is kind of year four for Scott, right? Um, and – but you think, ah, well, he's lost a couple of non-conference games to fluky things. He lost a whole bunch last year. And in many ways, you could look at, at Scott's last year – at least this—I mean—arguably could have been the worst in his life. I mean, hey, you he just you deal with the COVID. You're struggling with—are we even playing football? Um, then, he, then he loses his dad last year. Um, so, so many things that happened to him last year that, like—and I—it I, feels weird. And I—I'm I, sure he wouldn't really enjoy someone, quote unquote, giving him a pass. Um, but like, I—I just—I got to right. And so, my leash for him is a not as tight, I think, as some people have it. And so, you know, I think ballpark, I would be satisfied with seven, eight wins and a bowl game win. You know, maybe it's seven wins in a year, bowl game makes eight, uh, six wins and a bowl game makes seven, you know, whatever it is, that schedule's brutal. Um, but it just, you know, I'd like, even, even like, and we were talking with Jordan Camp earlier today, even the season, I think it was his – the year before they went nine and three. I think it was the year right – it was the year before Sam Fultz. Um, They were like six and seven, and they beat UCLA in the Foster Farms Bowl, and they just lost game after game after game Uh, on the Hail Mary to BYU, last second field goal Northwestern, last second field goal, Wisconsin. But even in those – all those situations, you know, I would even take that this year because in all those situations, they were in those games against quality, quality opponents. And just got fluky losses, and they still managed to go six and seven. Um, so I mean, would that technically be on the low end of my spectrum? Yes, but I would even take that at this point compared to what we've had in years past.
2: Hey, Connor, yeah, I mean it's a definitely interesting situation when you look at it, um, as Grant said. Uh, a lot, you, you have a lot of reasons to give Scott Frost a pass from last year. Obviously, a tough year for anybody. Um, but going into this year, and we talked about this with Western Camp as well, is the, the pressure that's adding on to the, this whole team and the seniors to perform well and Scott to perform well for his job. Um, so I think the ceiling for this team is eight wins, the eighth win being a bowl game. Um, and I think the floor is five and seven. Um, I'm expecting a bowl game appearance. I think this team can absolutely do it. Um, I think. Martinez, and hopefully I'm right about this, but I think he's due for his best year since his freshman season. Um, he's definitely cut off a couple of pounds. He looks a lot faster uh, than he was prior. Not that he was slow in his sophomore and junior year, but um, he looks very fast now. Um, and you have the receiving weapons to do so. You have Omar Manning, Samari Toure, Xavier Betts, Alante Brown. I mean, you name it. You have Austin Allen at the tight end position. Um, And a lot of experience coming back on defense as well. Nine of 11 starters coming back. So the amount of pressure coming into the season obviously is immense. I feel like the team has to address the elephant in the room if they have not already. Um, I think that's something crucial that they need to do, especially if they find themselves in a hard spot in the season. Um, Just really look themselves in the mirror and say, okay, this is what we are. And you play week zero versus Illinois. I mean, that game is going to – Really set the tone for the rest of the year, and if you win it, that's going to be incredibly huge for this team. Because you win that game, you likely win the next two head into Oklahoma three and zero, and I I think really that's that's a must. You have to go into Oklahoma three and zero. After that, you hit Big Ten, and obviously anything can happen in the Big Ten. You you play two kind of toss up games with Michigan State, Northwestern. Obviously, the game with Northwestern every single year is just. Doesn't matter how good or bad one team is, it's just going to be close all the way down at the end. But um, I, I, it's it's going to be a bowl game year, I think. Um, whether that's six and six or seven and five, um, and if it's not, uh, it'll be an interesting future for Frost in in Lincoln, I believe.
4: Grant mentioned that you don't have any memories of Nebraska being in the Big 12, essentially, you know, certainly not the Big 8. So thinking about it on a Big 10 perspective, do you have a team in the Big 10 you consider a rival of Nebraska or a team you really dislike or just enjoy playing?
1: Okay, so this is kind of interesting because rivalries is really interesting to me because in high school we had two types of rivalries. All right. First one was pure hate. You just absolutely hate these people. You would never, ever spend any time with them. Second one is you're, you have mutual respect. And so it's like, all right, you, we don't like you when we're playing, but we'll hang out with you uh, on a Friday night afterwards, right? Um, and so for me, the first team, the pure hate team is Iowa. I mean, it's just bar none. It's just you, I hate losing to Iowa. I hate losing in the fashion we've lost to Iowa the last few years, the, you know, being taunted by their kicker. Even, in la- even last year, um, I mean, it's just like getting stabbed over and over and over in the back. It's brutal. Um, and as far as the mutual respect, uh, that one's really a lot harder for me to pin down. Wisconsin is kind of close, but like the thing is, I don't think Nebraska has really played well enough consistently um, against a mid to upper tier opponent to really have that respect level rivalry. Um, and so I think that that is, we'll get there. I think at some point, you know, whether it's Penn state, it's somewhere down the line, Wisconsin or Minnesota, if Minnesota continues to be good. Um, uh, but I don't think Nebraska has the second one yet because they haven't been able to compete well enough yet consistently with, um, some of the teams that are in the big 10 that are top tier. They'll win a couple of, you know, one year against, um, some of these teams and, you know, some years not Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin has been a team that's had our number every single year. Um, And every single year, talent-wise, you look at the beginning of the year, especially during Bo Calini and sometimes during Mike Riley, and you think, yep, we got the talent to compete with Wisconsin. And yet losses sometimes are close and sometimes are a lot more spread out than you would like, but they're still losses.
2: Yeah, and I would go as far as to say, I mean, I, I would agree with the the Iowa hatred rivalry, um, even though I'm new to it, I I didn't like Iowa to begin with anyway. Um, so I would <laughs> who does really <laughs> <laughs> uh, with the pure hatred rivalry. I would say a respected rivalry though, and I I name dropped this team multiple times already, but I'm going to do it again, which is Northwestern. And I think the, those games are always close. I mean, a, I agree with that of, I haven't really met a, a Pat Fitzgerald hater yet, and I don't know if any of you guys are, but um, I think that's a very respected rivalry. I mean, those games are always close. Northwestern obviously has been on an upward hill uh, the past four or five years now. Um, And even in 2019, when Northwestern was three and nine, Nebraska won on a walk-off field goal. So it doesn't really matter how good or bad one team is. It's going to be a great game. And I think there's a a mutual respect between the two programs. They're always super entertaining to watch. Um, I feel like that's kind of a slept on Big 10 West rivalry, and especially a Nebraska rivalry. Um, Grant mentioned Minnesota as well. I feel like that will not be more of a hatred rivalry. Um, just kind of the vibe around P.J. Fleck that's in Lincoln. Not a lot of people like him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that would be more towards the hatred side, but that one definitely could be a new one as well.
5: This will be the last question I'll have, and I'll, I'll do it to, to Grant here. Um, growing up in Nebraska and being, besides that weekend of being a Missouri fan, for the most part being a Nebraska <laughs> fan growing up, I know the answer for me, and I think I know the answer for for Boomer and and Dave on this. Just knowing them for the years and everything, how pissed are you as a fan of mm. your age to not have experienced? Like, how bad do you want that national championship? You're talking about, you know, six and six being the improvement, and we all agree with that that it would be. But like when someone my age tells you about oh how great it was when we stormed the field after the the championship game you know you know i i ran for my fraternity all the way down to the to the stadium and o street was going nuts and i remember mm-hmm. when you know the poll came out we were number 1 against michigan all that how much do you hate hearing that cuz you've never got to experience and how mad is it that you've never got to hear see that personally i guess as a as a husker fan
1: yeah uh, pissed is a good word. I mean, I don't, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, like, um, you think, you know, when you, you, you're born here and your dad was a Husker fan and your grandpa was a Husker fan and your great grandpa was a Husker fan and your great, your great grandpa remembers when they were the bug eaters and you know all this <laughs> stuff, you know, it's like you, you're born into the tradition and there's really no other option, right? Like it's, it's very, you know, similar. I'm sure, you know, Connor can speak to you growing up in Chicago and you're, you're a Bears fan, you know, or you're, you're a Bulls fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can't leave it. Um, but, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, like when you think like, yeah, probably, I don't know, the height of, of my Nebraska career or fanship is, is when they went to the Big Ten Championship game, We got smoked by Wisconsin in the game they were favored to win.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it, there's been a lot of lows and there's definitely been some highs like picking off Oregon in 2016. That was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. isolated experiences. But then again, like, it's just like, and then they go up there to Wisconsin with Tommy Armstrong and they're facing TJ Watt and TJ Watt 100%, you know, on that game, potentially game winning drive, 100% holds a Nebraska receiver. It's brutal. You don't get the call. And you end up losing that game when you were this close, you know, or the, you know, the backbreaking third and 20 holding penalty defensively for Nebraska, or you literally let them convert the third and 20. Like that, unfortunately for me, kind of defines my experience over the last 10 years of being this close or, you know, getting shot in the foot basically. Um, And it is, yeah, it's disappointing. Like I, I just, you know, I, I love for a national championship. I won a national championship for sure, and so you know. However, we get there, whatever. I just, but I, I just I don't want to I don't want to be shot in the foot anymore, stabbed in the back, or or have a kicker be ta- you know taunting me from the <laughs> sidelines.
5: That's totally understandable. Well, uh, Grant Connor, it's been great having you guys on. Really appreciate it. Uh, Husker Sports Weekly at Husker Weekly. As is tradition on the Redcast, we always let our guests have a parting shot. Connor, you haven't spoken a little bit, so I'm going to let you have it.
2: The floor is yours. Yeah, you can find our show at Husker Weekly. Uh, We have new guests every single week, or at least we try to. Uh, (laughs) It should should be a lot more fun now that we're actually on campus. As Grant said earlier, people trading in their fandom from Husker basketball to other teams, don't do that this year. (laughs) They might actually be pretty good. As a big basketball fan myself, stay loyal. And that's my piece of advice.
5: (laughs) All right. Thank you guys. Husker Sports Weekly. Great show. Give them a listen. Thanks guys. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. A
1: Media Production.